Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 16th of August. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by CEC founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, forget recession, we face global economic meltdown. And British maniacs behind hasty are the Nazi threat, not China. So, forget recession, we face global economic meltdown. Craig, um, we've got some major developments in the financial system afoot, but we'll go through those. But I just wanted to emphasise that as we go through them, people have to understand that it's these developments that are really what's driving the cash ban mm -hmm. that we're fighting at the moment. Yeah. Right. So the um, regular viewers would know the government has put up draft exposure of legislation to ban cash transactions over ten thousand mm. dollars. Um, the Submission process on that ended on Monday, and the Treasury so far has not yet revealed um, how many submissions we made were made, but we're pretty sure a lot were made, yeah. right? And that was the first step in getting their attention. Now, Parliament doesn't resume until the 9th of September, and so if, if viewers are wondering what to do next, already, if you've made a submission, send it to your Member of Parliament, but more importantly, if you can, get on the phone and call them. Call your local member, Federal Member of Parliament, Look for a list. You can go on the Parliament website or go on our website or call us. We'll help you. Look for the list of your senators in each state. Call every one of them and be very insistent about this, right? Do not, they, here's the bottom line. They're going to, the excuses are, this is about the black economy, right? Oh, we, you know, it's, it's to stop money laundering, it's to stop tax evasion. No, it's not your hairdresser taking cash that is the black economy. It's the biggest banks and biggest corporations that do the money laundering, do the tax evasion. The governments have always known it. They haven't enforced their own laws. It's organisations like KPMG, the big accounting firm, that is, that's, that's complicit in it with it. And it's KPMG, though, that turns around and demands this cash ban on us, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Where we lose our privacy. That's a, that's a big part of this. You lose all your privacy. Every transaction in a cashless society is tracked, right? And you lose your right. You lose your right not to use the banks, yeah. right? You have to use the banks. And that's the real issue here. Yeah, right, we're locking us in. Yeah, we're facing this you know, more and more discussion and the potential of negative interest rates, Robbie. That's right. And that means that people have to pay to have their money in the bank. Now, of and course... they're not going to want to do it. They're going to uh, want to take their money that's out. They're not going to be allowed point, to. Right. Why would you want to pay the banks to have your money in it? And therefore, people get trapped into the banking system and then they're exposed to this issue of bail-in. Yeah. Where the, the government can, or through the regulators, can issue instructions to the banks that then they can bail in people's deposits steal people's deposits. Now, of course, they say, oh, this will never happen. Australian banks are very strong. You know, we don't have the powers to do this. Our information that we go through in detail on our website and in our publications and now. shows, and now, it shows exactly that they do have this power. They will use it because everything you're being told is a complete lie. So these are, and, the, and, the, and so the point is, these are desperate measures that they are, have, mm. things like negative interest rates, bailing. These are desperate measures to prop up a failing system. And that's what people have to understand when they hear these economic developments that we're about to go through, right? It's, it goes way beyond recession. It goes way beyond a statistical two quarters of negative growth, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about a system that's in meltdown. So let's look at some of the, the details on that now. If you've been watching, the, the news this week has actually been quite dramatic. I watch, um, I, te I happen to watch The Project on Channel 10 a lot, right? And it's like three days in a row, the project has had some lengthy feature on some economic disaster that's, that's befalling us. 
Um, so the big one, though, was the, the Dow Jones melted down 800 points the other day, the fourth biggest meltdown since the global financial crisis, because the yield curve inverted, right? And it's the second time a yield curve has inverted this year, um, and it's a very technical thing, but the bottom line is it means people are losing confidence in the short-term money market, right? Because they're losing confidence in what's going to happen in the next few years, and they're rushing into buying bonds that are 10 years old, mm -hmm. right? The 10-year bonds. And by doing that, the price of those, the, the yield on those bonds goes right down and compared to where, whereas the interest rate should be higher than the, than the short-term one- and two-year bonds. And when that happens, when, when long-term interest rates are lower than short-term interest rates, it's called an inversion. And, and every time it's happened in the past, it's been a harbinger for a recession. Right, and the last big time was 2007. This happened, and of course, 2008 happened soon afterwards, chronologically. <laughs> okay, um, so that that was the big news this week, and 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 they reckon that on, on the back of news coming out of China mm -hmm. as a result of the trade war, you know, bad numbers out of China, bad numbers out of Germany, which is the powerhouse production country of the of the, of the European Union. Right, so very serious news. Deutsche Bank, which is the, the bank that I, the IMF has identified since 2016, could, is the most likely next Lehman Brothers, that one bank that could set off a crisis. Deutsche Bank shares overnight, Craig, hit US $6.44 mm -hmm. or Euro 5.88. And those levels are the lowest since it's been on death watch. And they're just above the point that experts have identified of US $6.40 or Euro 570, at which Deutsche Bank is insolvent. And if that happens, if Deutsche Bank is technically insolvent, loses all its capital, then it's, we're off to the races, right? Um, they, they can set off a massive problem in the derivatives market, and that's, that's a huge one, and I'm gonna say a bit more about that in a second. In Australia, this is another, we're in a retail recession in Australia. Mm. Now, this is actually quite significant because they're all, they're all wringing their hands about this. We haven't had a worse retail market since 1991 when we were in an actual recession. But it happens, it's happened just after the election when, remember, remember the big thing in post-election was confidence has boomed, yeah. right? Woo, confidence is back. So that hasn't worked. And the government's stimulus. The government's been handing out these $500 to $1,000 stimulus checks, right, as part of the, um, the tax returns. And it's not working. People are not going out and spending it. I wonder why, because in the last 10 years, Australians' household debt has gone up from 160% of income to over 190% of income, mm. and any time there's extra money, what do people do with it now? They're going and spending it on, they're trying to pay down debt, trying to service debt and pay down debt. Or taking on more, because you know, today they're, taking just, they're taking you know, these the short-term loans, like afterpay, where you go and get your goods, yep. you pay afterwards, $900 million is what's now owed on that system. So it's gone through the roof. Payday lending. Payday lending, effectively. And that, so the, all these are signs of desperation out there, right? Which, isn't, which, which doesn't actually get properly reflected in the official statistics. Now, here's, here's, I want to give you now 45 trillion reasons why the government wants to bail in, wants to ban cash, bail in your money and go with negative interest rates. And those 45 trillion reasons are called derivatives. We, we monitor the Reserve Bank figures on derivatives, Craig, mm. and if they come out every quarter and there's quite a lag, you know, we, so we have a quarter from you know, earlier in the year. But in the, the last recorded quarter, 
you've had a record growth rate in Australian bank derivatives. They're now at $45 trillion. The previous figure was a bit over $38 trillion, something like that. So you, you've got close to, um, uh, sorry, they're slightly under $45 trillion. You've got close to $7 trillion growth in Australian bank derivatives in one quarter. They never go down, Robbie. Maybe <laughs> a little bit after the last There's little things and then big but spikes. They just don't go down. Now, this is, what are the banks doing here? They're doubling down at the, at the blackjack table is what they're doing. These are bets, right? And instead of, they, these are bets that, that are ultimately collateralised by your deposits. Mm. And, you know, this is, the, this is Australia's part of the sick financial system that our governments have to prop up with these and unnatural so, measures. And these, these 45 trillion notional capital value of derivatives, Robbie, are so sensitive the banks say they're not, that they won't report them. They won't report them. They, They've stopped allowed, reporting them. All except Westpac have stopped disclosing what their actual derivatives exposure is, yeah. and that's, that's very dodgy. Now, just a couple of other things on this subject. MPs are being hit by the, by the public over this cash ban, and a lot of them are because they're automatons, zombies <laughs> to be frank. They're just repeating what they've been told, and they're saying, oh, it's got nothing to do with negative interest rates. And in fact, I heard one MP call that a conspiracy theory. Well... Everyone, Craig, around the world is talking about negative interest rates. Yep. That's where we're going. And I want to give you two examples. So Fortune magazine two days ago reported the latest wisdom from Alan Greenspan. Remember Alan Greenspan? The guy who gave us the global financial crisis? He was, he was arrogant enough to write a book in 2007 bragging about how great he was and how great derivatives were and credit default swaps were. And in 2008, everything he bragged about blew up. Mm. So he's still, he's still arrogant enough to raise his ugly head. This is what, for, this is, I'll just read this section from Fortune magazine on the 14th of August. Quote, there is no barrier for US Treasury yields going below zero, former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan told Bloomberg on Tuesday. Zero has no meaning besides being a certain level. Greenspan said if the US sees negative interest rates on its sovereign bonds, quote, it's not, a, it's not that big of a deal, end quote. But then again, he didn't think low interest rates during the housing bubble would cause much trouble. <laughs> so that was a good comment by Fortune. Yeah. Now, last Friday, after we did the sh recorded the show here and went to bed, put it to bed, the, um, the governor of our Reserve Bank testified before the Australian Parliament. And what did he basically say? Well, if we have to go to negative interest rates, we will. So I'll just quote you from the ABC report on it. The head of the Reserve Bank has told Parliament that all options are on the table to stimulate Australia's economy, potentially even cutting interest rates to zero or negative levels and implementing unconventional policies such as quantitative easing. RBA Governor Philip Lowe told the House of Representatives Standing Community in Economics that the bank may have to cut rates again if unemployment rises and inflation remains weak. Quote, it's possible we end up at the zero rate lower bound. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible, he said. We're prepared to do unconventional things if the circumstances warrant it. And here's the bottom line. All this is happening because we have a global debt and derivatives bubble that's bigger than 2008, much bigger. It's the biggest in history, but instead of fixing it, instead of the authorities, they should have fixed it 10 years ago, but instead of doing that, they've spent every waking moment trying to prop it up and they're still trying to do that. Yep. So Craig, what measures do we need to actually get the Australian and global economies functioning properly again? This is a political problem, Robbie, first and foremost. It's not a monetary problem, although there is problems with the monetary system. The key here is that you have to have a banking system that is controlled, regulated and functions for the benefit of the necessary physical economies. Therefore, we need legislation that we call Glass-Steagall, which is a separation of banks. You take the banking system 
and you take the necessary part of the banking system and you split it off from all the parts of the bank, like the merchant investment banking side, which is all involved in these derivatives, and you protect it. Let the rest go to hell. It doesn't matter. That's all paper debt, and it's going to have to be written off at some point. But you can't just stop there. You've got to go then and re-stimulate the economy, which means you've got to have what we propose is a national bank producing large amounts of credit, not money, but credit, spending into the economy in the form of large-scale infrastructure development projects. And boy, we have a lot of work to do in this country. Now, when you say, just to correct, I know what you mean by it, but when we say re-stimulate, we're not, we don't mean stimulus the way these no, no, people no. mean stimulus. We, we mean the need is there. Yes. We need the infrastructure that we should be spending money on. Yeah. We should have been doing it all along. When, unfortunately, stimulus is coming to mean you know, pumping money into the you know, quantitative easing. But no, the way that you build an economy or stimulate the economic activity in an economy is by spending that into actual physical production. Real work, real, real, real things that we real need. Real projects, right? And there's plenty of them in this country to do. Water projects, you know, rail projects, high-speed you know, rail projects in particular, given the tyranny of distance we have in this country. I mean, there's many, many things, and we go through this in our, uh, in our, uh, what we call our infrastructure, new citizen. And um, the other thing, which because we'll talk about in the next segment a bit, is we should be thinking about collaborating with the rest of the world on this on a global exactly. scale as well, because this is not a, this is not an Australian problem. So let's take a break, and you'll see why I said that. <laughs> Welcome back to the CEC Report. British maniacs behind hasty are the Nazi threat, not China. Now, Craig, I want to be as sensitive as possible here because we, we love all our supporters and viewers, right? But they don't love us when we talk about China. But some you'll never get from the CEC anything other than we think is the truth, right? And I can, I can tell you that now. And that's why we do talk about China especially when something happens like last week with Andrew Hastie, because it's a perfect example of why, where we're coming from on this, and so I just want to go through it. So Andrew Hastie is the Liberal MP for um, Canning. He representing um, Mandra, and we've had, we've, we've had a, a loggers head, we've been at loggerheads within the last few weeks because John Adams and I went over there and, and showed the state of Mandra, and he was very indignant that we would talk about his electorate like that, even though, must I say, there's been so much political attention on Mandra that we brought to it. They've had extra police and everything, so they should be thanking us. But anyway, um, uh, you know, he, he was more interested in, in, in uh, towing the line on his government's policy than acknowledging what's actually happening on the ground. However, contrast to that, he's the most concerned MP in the world about China, the threat of China, right? He cares very deeply about it. He wrote a column that was put in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 8th of August, and in that column, he likened the rise of China to that of Nazi Germany. Now, bear in mind, this is our biggest customer. This is the country that everyone knows kept us out of the recession because yeah. they're willing to buy our coal and iron ore from us at any price we, we, we charge, frankly. And a right? country, Robbie, that's never invaded anyone, right? Exactly. In long history, unlike a lot of the Western well, countries. Let, let's do the unlike now, right? Because um, this is what he said. Quote, the West once believed that economic liberalisation would naturally lead to democratisation in China. This was our Maginot line. The Maginot line being the French defences against Germany that the Germans just were easily able to overrun. Um, quote, I'll keep quoting. It would keep us safe just as the French believed their series of steel and concrete forts would guard them against the German advance in 1940. 
So, and he's, you know, they tried to downplay it. But no, he was comparing China to Nazi Germany, right? And that's what you do to your best customer. Call them the Nazis, right? Despite the fact that the country that suffered most at the hands of the Nazis' allies in World War II, which were the Japanese, was China. That's right. Right? Um, Japan, we're all friends with now. They're the ones who invaded us. China's never invaded us. They just buy stuff off us, but they're the Nazis. Anyway... Hastie is saying this. He's the chair of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security. He's the guy who pushed for the foreign interference laws last year. But when he said this, you've got to look at the timing, because he said it, in, it was obviously orchestrated, it, the timing. It followed the visit of the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, mm-hmm. and the NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg. So Pompeo would be super pleased with what Hastie said, because that was what he was here to say. Ah, oh, don't put your, your, your economic interests with China above your security interests, right? We, this is, we're, we, you know, we have to take these people on. We've got to stand up to this threat. Um, now, his State Department has been pushing this line, but I want to give you, see, I'll give you an example of how ridiculous it is. On the 29th of April, the US State Department's Director of Policy Planning, a woman named Kyron Skinner, she said this about China. Quote, this is a fight with a really different civilization and a different ideology, and the United States hasn't had that before. The Soviet Union and that competition was, in a way, it was a fight within the Western family. It is the first time we will have a great power comp- competition that is not Caucasian. Mm. End quote. Now, if you haven't got that, what she's saying is they're not white. Yeah. That's what makes them worse. They're not white. You know what makes that most ridiculous, Craig? What? She's not white either. This is an African-American woman saying this. I'll put a picture up. In fact, she just got sacked from the State Department the other day because she's had her own clash of civilizations inside it. Apparently, they didn't like the way she operated. (laughs) But she's a black woman. An African-American woman said China is really bad because they're not white. Yeah. Right? Now, this, I don't use the word racist lightly because it does get used over the top. This is a big part of what we're dealing with. Yes. Right? Now, I'll continue this line of thought after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing British maniacs behind hasty other Nazi threat, not China. Now, I just have to make this other point before I get on to hasty specifically. Um, this, the other guy here, Jens Stoltenberg, is the Secretary General of NATO. And now think about the way China's being characterised, Craig. Oh, China's spreading its tentacles around the world through the Belt and Road Initiative, right? That's what makes it the threat, right? It's, it's all, I mean, it's all infrastructure, it's helping build, etc. It's not putting military bases all around the world. The US has got 700 of them. NATO, on the other hand, we, you and I, Craig Ishwood and I, got to work quite closely with Malcolm Fraser in the last few years of his life. And Malcolm Fraser wrote a very important book called Dangerous Allies about our relationship to the United States and and. United Kingdom, right? Mm. And how we have no sovereignty because of that relationship with them. Malcolm Fraser was one of, there was quite a few statesmen at the time of the Cold War ended who said, okay, NATO doesn't need to exist anymore. It's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was there to fight the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union doesn't exist. We don't need NATO. What we should do is reach out the hand of friendship and work with the world. They promised Russia they would do that. They didn't do it. We'll put a graphic on the screen. Instead, NATO expanded massively. And now they're down here, and we, we saw this actually in 2012 starting. They want Australia to be part of NATO. Yeah. The North, we're, we're as far from the North Atlantic as you'll ever get. They want a southern flank, Robbie, a southern NATO, actually, to do the same containment of China exactly. as they've done with they Russia. They encircled Russia, now encircling China, yeah. right? And we're supposed to be part of that, right? 
Remember what I said, Andrew Hayes is the guy who banned foreign interference in our politics. We call this foreign interference, right? Yes. We have a, a clear national interest with China that we're supposed to destroy because of these military guys. But anyway, but believe it or not, Hastie's column was not actually timed to these events. The, I mean, putting the column in was, but it was from a speech he gave on the 26th of June in London to an outfit called the Henry Jackson Society. Now, he didn't disclose this when he wrote his column yeah, in the Sydney Morning Herald. The Henry Jackson Society did, though. And when you're dealing with the CEC, you're not dealing with mugs. We haven't come down the last year. We've been around a long time. As soon as we see a name like Henry Jackson Society, we know exactly what we're dealing with. These are the Nazis. These people. The Henry Jackson Society is named after the hardest of the hardcore neocons that lied to get us into the Iraq war. They formed in 2005, two, week, two years after the Iraq war started, when everyone was saying, oh, this was a disaster. The people who formed the Henry Jackson Society said, no, this is great. We want more of this. They named it after U.S. Democratic Senator Henry Scoop Jackson. Now, this, was a, this guy was an extremist back in the 70s and 80s. He was the boss of these names you may recognise. Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Douglas Fife, and Bill Crystal. Those four guys are probably the leading neoconservatives in the United States. They operated out of Dick Cheney's office to orchestrate the lies of the Iraq war. Um, Pearl and Crystal are international patrons of the Henry Jackson Society. Now, the Henry Jackson Society's principles are pure madness. They're a deliberate recipe for permanent war. And this is what their principles are. We have to spread democracy through carrot and stick. Stick being, meaning military means. Remember how they said, oh, we're bringing democracy to Iraq. Yeah, a million, a million dead people later. Um, massively arm the United States. And of course, that's always the big part of it, right? Because you've got to keep that military industrial complex profitable. And here's the part that is the most chilling if you think about it. They say in their principle, statement of principles, only liberal democracies are legitimate governments. In other words, these people, any government they don't like, they say, you're not legitimate. Now, I can tell you now, no one in Russia or China looks at our government or the American government or the British government and says, oh, they're not legitimate governments. They say, they're the governments, we will deal with them. People in our governments, on the other hand, turn around and go, oh, that's not a legitimate government. That's not a legitimate government. We can overthrow them. Yeah. Right? That's how, they, that's how they think. One of the founders of the Henry Jackson Society wrote in 2011, quote, this is the title of his article, democracy can be dropped from 10,000 feet. And he was boasting of the success of the Libya intervention in bringing democracy to Libya, except now we know the truth. They created a failed state. It's a safe haven for ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And there's slave trading revived in Libya of black people. Right? That's what they achieved. The other per the, the, the Henry Jackson Society has an Australian patron named Michael Danby. He is also a member of former member of parliament who compares China to the Nazis. Anyway, Craig, it's all one-sided with them. Oh, China's becoming more authoritarian. Isn't the real issue what we have done in the meantime, which is why we used to work with Malcolm Fraser? Exactly, Robbie. Look, we support the Belt and Road Initiative, right? But we, we actually recognise that China and Russia have legitimate governments. First thing, most important. But we can, you have to establish a, a, a grouping of sovereign nation states, respect that sovereignty, and then have deals to develop each of those sovereign states through large-scale infrastructure development, which is exactly what China is doing. That's a completely different way to look at it. It's not promoting war, which is what these guys want to do. It's promoting peace, and we're going to benefit for that yeah. if we join it. And if we want China to become less authoritarian and respect international law, 
we, sh- we better we start do doing it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. That's the bottom line here. They are not responsible for this mess the world is in. Our side is. But we're out of time. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Robbie. Tune in next week for more.